0: Let's uh, thank the Lord for each other. And wasn't that a wonderful performance in the choir this morning? Wow, thank you Father. Okay, for those few of you who are new this morning, uh, I hope you got your welcome packet. If you didn't, there will be some after the service. And if you're new this morning, after the service today, or if you came last Sunday or the Sunday before, we'll have a newcomer's lunch. Directly following the service, we'll just walk a few meters uh, from this front door and have lunch. Please come join us for lunch. You can see me at the end of the service, and uh, about a quarter till 12, we'll walk over and have lunch together. We'd really like for you to come and get to know you, and you can get to know us. Also, let me see the hands of anybody who had a birthday this week. Any birthdays? Okay, birthday, happy birthday. Okay, come see me after the service. I've got a present for you. Just come right up here. And get your birthday present. Okay, uh, before we get going, I'm ask Annalisa Gates to come up and tell us about the the retreat that happened this weekend. Come on up here, Annalisa.
1: I'll try to. Okay. okay, that's good. So I know we just lost half of them, but those of you who went, raise your hand if you went to the retreat. All right, all right, woo. Um, so. Let me just ask this. Should we do it again? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Psalm 46 um, was John Wolfe shared with us that night after we arrived. Um, He shared with us from Psalm 46, and it says that he lifts his voice and the earth melts. And I think participating in a retreat like this was an opportunity for us to get on the bus. It's work get up, go on those winding roads into the mountains, there was traffic, um, and get there, and then experience the result of that, of getting on the bus. And that's what all of, he, he has a gift to give us. And that gift is so rich. And yet we have to get on the bus. And I appreciate all of you for participating. We had some wonderful worship. There was a hike that, uh, Joanne led to the Great Wall and um, she tried to kill everybody. Um, <laughs> and we enjoyed a lot of fellowship. We enjoyed a crackling fire in the fireplace at night. Um, not allowed to during the day because smoke. <laughs> but anyway, um, it was a wonderful, wonderful time, and 70 people went. So um, we've set a precedent. This is the first CCC family retreat, and I really hope that we can see this happen again sometime. And I want to thank, this was a group effort, so I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this weekend happen. Thank you. Thank you, Annalisa.
0: And Annalisa, we thank you for making so many things happen at that retreat. Okay, um, you notice we celebrated our second Sunday of Advent today. We lit the second candle, and the Advent is that of the coming of our Lord, and His Advent brought a new era, a new era in this world. It was the birth of a not only a son, a child, but it was the beginning, a birth of the family of God in Jesus Christ. It all started there. The beginning of the family as we know it today. We call ourselves family, as Craig mentioned, all over the world, already in New Zealand and Japan people have been worshiping. We're about the second wave of those who worship and then it'll go to Europe, it'll go to South Africa, it'll go to North America, but we are family because of the advent of Christ. And as we talk about family next week, next Sunday, Will and Susie Brown are going to come share with us as a couple about how we do family and how do you get along as a family and what family is all about. They're also in charge of family life and they're also going to announce next Sunday a family seminar that will take place in February sponsored here at CCC that you as couples can attend. So we're really looking forward to having Will and Susie come share with us next week about family. So if you've got friends that need to hear about family, please bring them with you next Sunday morning. Okay, as a segue into what they're going to be talking about next Sunday, I'd like to remind you what I personally believe is is the greatest command in Scripture, and that is to abide in me. Because to abide in me is to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our mind. And to have no other gods before me. But today I'd like to talk about what I believe is the greatest command in scripture for husbands. The greatest command in scripture for husbands. And that is Ephesians 5.25, husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Did you hear that? Did you get that? Okay, so let's talk about how did Christ love the church? How did Christ love the church? Well, the first way he loved the church was by taking care of his own personal relationship with his heavenly father. In him was no sin. In him dwelt deity. But when he came to earth, he set his deity aside. His every temptation was to call upon his deity and he never did. And he lived on this earth as a man in dependence upon his father. And the first step in loving his church, his bride, was loving his father and obeying his father. You know, you see in scripture several times where it says, Jesus went off and spent all night in prayer. What is that about? How many of you have gone off and spent all night in prayer, men? You know, if if this guy who has no sinful flesh goes out and spends all night in prayer, what in the world do you think that's all about? Well, what it's all about is every day he was dealing with people with problems. You know, you think you might have problems at home with your wife and your children. He had problems with problems four or five thousand people at a time and he in his mind he was able to to know what was going on in the lives of those around him he needed to be filled he needed to be full when he got in front of man he needed to be completely filled and overflowing with the love of his father and fellowship with his father you know it says in scripture Christ didn't give his heart to man because he knew what was in the heart of man That didn't mean he was a pessimist. He was a realist. (laughs) He knew that men were fragile. He knew that men would break. He knew that men could not be depended upon. Only two times in Scripture do we see Jesus ever ask anything from a man. Two times in Scripture. One, he asked this woman at the well for a drink of water. The second request, he asked his very best friends to just pray with him in his greatest hour of temptation. And as far as we can see in Scripture, neither of those requests were fulfilled. But yet, Jesus was never disillusioned with man. He was never brought down by man because he kept himself very healthy, very full, based on his relationship with his Heavenly Father. And husbands, if you want to love your wives as Christ loved the church, then we as men need to take care of our relationship with our Heavenly Father as Jesus did with him. Because your wives and your children are needy. Your wives and your children are not perfect. Your wives and your children have problems. Your wives and your children are problematic. And you know what, guys? Every woman in this room, every woman in this room was made by God to be married to the perfect man. Every woman was made by God to be married to the perfect man. The problem is, species of perfect men no longer exist on the face of the earth. But that doesn't lower their expectations or their need. It's true. They expect it, and they need it. They really need it. So how you doing, guys? Well, maybe some of you will stay up all night tonight with Jesus. Because they really need it. They really need it. And if you want to love your wife as Christ loved the church, you really need it. You really need more of him. You need more of him. You need him loving her through you. So I'm going to talk about three ways Christ love the church. He loved the church unconditionally. First, he loved the church unconditionally. You know, when I was a young man, a younger man, I know some people in their 90s, I'm relatively young. When I was a real young man, I read everything I could find in scripture on love and marriage. And the first conclusion I came to is the only kind of love that really matters in a marriage. It's the kind you find in Corinthians 13. And it's a fruit of the Spirit. The second conclusion I came to is because it's a fruit of the Spirit, you could have it for virtually millions of women. And the third conclusion I came to was, yet it's a fruit of the Spirit and you can have it for many people, yet there's one person who God is calling you or I to marry. And what is unconditional love it's it's not of this world conditional love is I love you because you're beautiful I love you because you make me feel good I love you because I feel secure with you I love you because you listen to me but those there's always a because and if you don't or I don't do one of those becauses (laughs) we find ourselves not feeling loved And it puts one another on a performance basis. Unconditional love is the love that flows from our Father. There is no condition. I love you just the way you are. I love you in spite of yourself. I love to love you. I love you. There's nothing you can do to make me love you more. There's nothing you can do to make me love you less. I love you. (laughs) So, 41 years ago, my father told me, put it on my heart, To ask Kathy to marry me on our very first date. And I had not spent time with her. I had not dated her. I didn't even know too much. Well, I knew a lot about her. I knew the fact that she was a wonderful believer. I knew she was a godly woman. But uh, I was obedient to Father and trusted Him that if He wanted me to marry her, that he would give me his unconditional love for her. And you know what she said when I asked her? I proposed on that first date. She didn't say anything. (laughs) So I said, you don't need to tell me now. I said, if I don't see you for 20 years, and you come to my office, and you say you want to marry me, I'll marry you that day, as long as you don't do two things. As long as you never marry anybody else, or say no. So... Then I said, maybe we should go out again. It's a great idea. Get to know each other a little better. I took her home, went to sleep. I woke up the next morning with all these feelings for her. God put all these feelings for her into me. I loved to spend time with her then. Six months, six weeks after we had been spending time together, she says to me, Rick, I believe you're the man I'm supposed to marry. But she says, I just don't have any feelings for you. She says, I was engaged one time. I've had boyfriends. you know. I, I've had feelings for men, but you're like a brother. And I just thought that I had feelings for the man I was going to marry. But she said, in faith, I'm going to say yes. So I took her home. She went to bed. She woke up the next morning with all these feelings for me. She wanted to get married the next day. <laughs> we did not get married the next day, but we did get married From our first date to the day we married was 12 weeks. And we've had 41 fantastic years. And I learned what I knew but had not experienced was the only kind of love that matters in a marriage is the kind that you find in Corinthians 13. It is a fruit of the spirit and it flows from the throne room of God. And I have to go feed deeply from him for her to be loved through me, unconditionally, does Christ love the church? Someone asked me some months ago, years ago, Rick, what's your greatest motivation for wanting to abide in Christ?" I said, "Well, I love Kathy so much, I did not want her living with my flesh, because my flesh is selfish, and my flesh it wants its own way, it desires its, it, it is self-centered. it wants its own way. Yeah, I, I, I'm not even going to get into what my flesh is like. Okay. Christ loved the church unconditionally. So, guys, we need to go again to the foot of the cross, to our Father every day, and say, Lord, I cannot love my wife as she needs to be loved. She expects perfection, and she needs it. Would you please love my wife through me? Would you? Don't ask him to help you. Ask him to do it. Would you love her through me? Christ also loved the church. The second way is sacrificially. Sacrificially. Now, what is sacrificially? Have you ever sacrificed something? Okay, let me give you a couple of examples. We're married. This is the first week of our marriage. I go to work. She moves into my bachelor apartment. It was kind of a neat place, I thought. And uh, the second day I come back from work, her mother had come over to our house. And every picture on the wall was moved to another place. Every piece of furniture was rearranged. And I grew up in a house where my mother never moved anything. And I just came in and saw these pictures moved and this furniture moved. I didn't say anything to her. But I went and took each picture and put it back where it was before. <laughs> and I took each piece of furniture and put it right back where it was. I put her in a terrible situation. Here she's going to please her husband. And she, her mother's over there. And now i moved everything back. What's she going to say to her mother? What's all that about? It was me abiding in my control of my things... That's a terrible thing to do to your bride, to put her in that circumstance. But see, that was my flesh. I was abiding in something that just moved my pictures and my furniture. And when, I, and when they moved, I had a heart attack. And the only way I could fix that heart is to put everything back the way it was. So how do you die to that? Well, you confess to the Lord, I, my treasure is in things being the way I want them to be or arranged the way I want them to be. And you go ask your wife's forgiveness and you ask God's forgiveness and you ask him to take that away from you. So the next time I come home and everything's moved, I don't have a heart attack. I say, honey, it's, thank you for caring for me so much you want to change things. I was an only child. We never had company when we went to visit relatives, we would stay in a hotel. This is just the way I was raised. I didn't know there was any difference. So we'd been married about a year and Kathy says to me, oh, I got a letter from so-and-so and she and her husband are going to come stay with us for a week. And my first response was, doesn't he have a job? Doesn't he have a job? I didn't I love company, but I wanted company to leave at 10 o'clock at night. I had never had anybody spend the night in my house. What's that about? That's about me abiding in my privacy, ordering my own world. And when that's threatened by somebody to come and spend the night with us, I have a heart attack. My eyes go blind, my ears go deaf, my mind goes crazy. And you get this reaction that is just not holy. Okay, so let me tell you what happened. Praise the Lord the people didn't come. (laughs) But I think I tried to give it to the Lord. I tried to give it to the Lord. I said, okay, Father, if they come, you know, you come. About a year later, I get this letter from this young lady in Germany who I had led to Christ a couple years before. And she was wanting to come on her honeymoon and stay with us and bring her husband's twin brother and a girlfriend. (laughs) I couldn't say no to that. So she comes with her husband and his twin brother and a girlfriend and they stay with us for a week or two. And when they left, I actually wept. I actually wept. It's called the breaking of rick. The breaking of rick. And husbands, to love your wives sacrificially, what you have to do is you have to sacrifice everything that you're drawing comfort from, everything you're drawing life from, that's not Jesus. You know, if if I ask you this morning, what were you did you argue with your wife this week? If somebody said, Yes, I did. What did you argue about? Well, we argued about where we're going to go on vacation. We argued about what kind of clothes we're going to wear. We argued about the temperature in the house. All these things we argue about is because we are so fragile because we're drawing life from things other than our Heavenly Father. Jesus didn't care where he slept. He didn't care if you led. He didn't care if, you, if he followed. He didn't care if it was hot. He didn't care if it was cold. He didn't care where we were going to go on vacation. He didn't care. He cared about his heavenly father. Therefore, he was able to deal with every situation in power and in love and of sound mind. And husbands, that's what your wives need. They, you know, when they, when they do something, when they come in and range the furniture and you go crazy... When they invite somebody over, that you, without it, when you start going crazy, you know what that does? That makes them feel really insecure because they know what they do or what they don't do disturbs your peace. And when a wife sees her husband at disease, it really scares her because she has placed her life in your hands. This is a bicycle built for two. You're in front, you're driving, she's in back. You're going 100 miles an hour. If she sees you start looking sideways and doing things, it's going to scare her to death. She's going to grab you even tight, and she's going to start yelling in your ear, this way, that way, this way. And then you say, don't bother me. I'm going crazy. And then she, she's even more scared now because she knows you're scared. Guys, you and I need to spend time alone with Jesus. Time alone with Jesus. Confessing that we are abiding in a bunch of little things they are the very things that cause discord between ourselves and our brides. Okay, we're running a little short on time. So the third way Christ loved the church is aggressively. Christ loved the church aggressively. We loved him because he first loved us. We love Christ because he first loved us. Husbands, your wife, every day, needs to hear something positive from you about her. Every day, she needs to hear something positive about her from you. Have I thanked you for marrying me today? Do you know how much I love you? I'm so grateful to be your husband. Thank you for marrying me. You are like the sun. She is like the moon. You shine brightly on your wife. She'll reflect it. You go dark, you say nothing. It's like a moon without a sun. And that's God's default. You know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. They just come home from work, it's a tired end of the day. They want to take their shoes off, want to turn on the TV. That's not what your wife needs. Your wife needs for you to get in front of her, to look her in the eye and say, Thank you for being with me. Thank you for being one with me. Thank you for being the mother of our children. Thank you for putting up with me when I'm in the flesh. Thank you. I love you. I love you. Those words go a long way. Christ prayed for the church. Husbands, you need to pray for your wives. You need to pray for your children. Christ is the head of the church. Husbands, you are the head of your families. It's your job. It's not your wife's job to lead the family. And that doesn't mean that you rule over it. That just means you're first in line. You're the first responder. You go before God. As Christ went before father so he could love his church. We need to go before our heavenly father, before Christ, that we can love our wives, and in so doing, we love our children. We're going short on time, but the greatest thing, men, you can do for your children is to love their mother. The greatest thing you can do for your children is to love their mother. Because children who grow up in a home where they see their mother being loved by their father, they feel very secure. And children who grow up in homes where they see their parents fighting, their mother not being loved, they feel very insecure. And by the time they become teenagers, they go look for security, places that are not so legitimate. The greatest thing you can do for your children is to love their mothers. And the greatest thing you can do to love their mothers is love yourself by taking care of your relationship with Christ. Get yourself healthy. Keep yourself healthy. Because your wives expect you to be perfect every day. And they need you to be perfect every day. And it can't happen unless you and I are abiding in Christ and Christ is abiding in us because the only person who can love the, his wife is Christ love the church is Christ himself. So we're going to close and get back to that thing that promise, abide in me and I will abide in you. This men should be our motivation for the abiding. That as Christ was able to love the church because he abided in the Father as we abide in him our wives can be loved as Christ loved the church and that's what they need and that's what is a blessing to our family. And let me say this. Paul says, he who loves his wife loves himself. I guarantee you, you love your wife, it'll start coming back at you. It'll start coming back at you. And the same is true if you don't love your wife. How's that working for you? And let me close this in prayer and we'll ask the worship team to come up. Gracious Father, the longer we talk we would always come to the same conclusion apart from you we can do nothing we can't even sin unless you give us strength and breath to do that we don't want to do that Father we thank you for the birth of Jesus the, the beginning of a new family uh, a husband and his bride Christ and the church and father for us as husbands you've you've entrusted us with with a bride and given us the same commission the same calling to to love them as as you have loved your church and We confess we cannot love them that way, but we confess they need to be loved that way. So, Lord Jesus, as husbands, we ask that you would give us the grace to to repent of abiding in ourselves and our own resources and our own abilities and turn to you, that, Jesus, you would, through us, love our wives as you have loved your church, because you, Jesus, are the lover of our souls. You are the beginning and the end. You are love, and we want that for our wives. We want that for our children. And we make this prayer in the name of Christ. Amen.